Check this out. Come on in, boys. The water's fine. What a great quote. We're all going to be going home saying that. Hey, a special thanks to the Internet and Suncrest Christian Church, whoever you are, for preparing that clip for us. Uh, in case you didn't catch it in the video, Delamar says, the preacher said, all my sins is washed away, including that piggly wiggly I knocked over in Yazoo. And then Ulysses Everett McGill, who's played by George Clooney, says, I thought you was innocent of them charges. And then Delmar says, well, I was lying. And the preacher said that that sin's been washed away too. Delmar is depending, just as we all are, on the truth of our passage that we read earlier on forgiveness today. Because friends, if, if forgiveness has a max, an upper limit that runs out at a certain point, then truth is we are all doomed. In the course of Jesus' teaching, he teaches about this limitless forgiveness that comes from the heart of God time and time and time again. And this is perhaps the most explicit example in his teaching of what is meant by the heart of God to forgive, to free from sin. So this is a consistent theme of extravagant forgiveness that is of fundamental importance in Jesus' teaching about how the kingdom works. For example, in the passage that we studied last week on prayer in Matthew 6, in verse 12, it says, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In Matthew 9, when some people had brought a paralytic to Jesus and Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And then he said to the crowd who was watching, So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralytic, Rise, take up your bed, and go home. All the the crowd, all the Jews there knew that only the Messiah can forgive sins. In Matthew 26, when Jesus was sitting around the table with his disciples, the evening before he was crucified, he he, he held up the cup and he said, this is the blood of my covenant. This is my part of this promise that I'm keeping to you, which is poured out, he says, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he claimed that following him would bring forgiveness from sin and relationship with with God, which is a radical, radical claim. And here's the thing, friends. Let me, you in on a, let me let you in on a little kingdom secret here. Not only is forgiveness no less radical today, you don't have to be the Messiah to extend it. 
when we understand how things work in the kingdom and when we trust in the gospel and we believe that freedom from slavery to sin is possible in Jesus, when we hold these truths dear in our hearts, then we begin to understand that we hold incredible power to extend God's kingdom by being extravagant forgivers. We hold incredible power to extend God's kingdom by being extravagant forgivers. But as soon as we say that, we know there's an inherent tension in hearing that because this is hard for us. There's an inherent tension involved here because our natural human tendency is this. (laughs) We enjoy getting and in fact depend on getting and receiving forgiveness. But for most of us, Forgiveness is not yet something we have learned to enjoy giving. We all know what it means to need and to get forgiveness, at least at a pretty basic level, but do we understand how important it is to give it, to extend it? This is some of the tension going on when Peter approaches Jesus in Matthew 18. Because apparently Peter didn't yet understand the Father's heart to forgive lavishly. Peter didn't yet fully understand the King's heart to extend forgiveness and freedom from sin and to cancel debts. So he needed to teach him. So jump in at verse 21, where Peter asks this question. He says, As he came up to him and said to him, verse 21, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as, he suggests, seven times. Now press pause. We're obviously jumping into a conversation midstream. So to give a little color uh, about what's going on here in verse 21, Jesus had just been teaching about the process of dealing with sin against one another in the church. Leave that last verse up if you don't mind, please. Jesus had just been teaching about the process of dealing with sin against one another in the church, but there was still this question about the limits of forgiveness, and Peter's not just pulling this question here in verse 21 out of thin air. There was quite a bit of discussion within Judaism about the question of the limits of forgiveness. How much is enough? When does it become too much? Uh, That kind of thing. And the rabbis had always said that you should forgive up to three times. Any more than three times, and obviously the offender uh, isn't serious about repentance uh, and needing forgiveness. So in Judaism, it was like four strikes, you're out, at least in their way of thinking. Which, I mean, when you think about it, seems pretty reasonable, right? (laughs) Like Like at that point, it's obvious the offender is just playing you. And doesn't understand the need for forgiveness for him or herself. And so Peter asked Jesus this question, How often, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then he offers, notice, what he thinks is a helpful suggestion, uh, quite a generous number, in fact, it feels like to him at least. He says as many as seven times. Now Peter probably offers this particular number, Because in the Old Testament, seven was the number of of completion, of perfection, going all the way back to Genesis 2 when God completed his work of creation. You see, on the seventh day, when the work of God in creation was done, when it was complete, uh, God sort of sat back on his hammock 
and obviously very large hammock, uh, sipping on some lemonade. He looks over his work of creation and he says, this isn't just good, this is very good because this creation was doing what he called it to do. So seven became a number of perfection, of completion in Jewish tradition. So with all that in mind, when Peter asks this question here, and then he offers up the number seven, he is saying something like, so if the rabbis say three, Jesus, then in this new kingdom that you're starting, you're certainly, you're certainly saying maybe seven times would be enough, right? Like certainly forgiving somebody seven times would be ample forgiveness, like a complete forgiveness, right? I mean, that sounds to me like being a little over the top because there's got to be this upper limit, right, Jesus? I mean, like, like there's got to be this place where, where justice kicks in. Please, Jesus, tell me there's a limit. Something like that. And so look at Jesus' response in verse 22. I'm keep this on screen for a bit. Verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Some versions say 70 times 7. Same idea. We're not going to get into that discussion. But the gist is the same. Not just this, but keep going and keep going and keep going. Now, who knows, of course, but I think that when Jesus was responding to Peter, he was laughing a little bit on the inside when he said this, perhaps on the outside. Seven times. Good try, Peter. Yeah, seven. Boys, listen up. Try 77. You see, what Jesus was doing here is what he did in his ministry a lot. He kept upping the ante for what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Early on in the Sermon of the Mount, where he was teaching about what life in the kingdom is like, marching orders for being a part of the kingdom, Jesus said, you have heard it said this, but I say to you this. And instead of loosening the expectations for those who would be part of the kingdom, He tightened them. He upped the ante. Everywhere he went, he was upping the ante. It got to the point soon in Matthew where the disciples at the end of Matthew were saying at the end of the book of Matthew, who then, Jesus, can be saved? At which point Jesus responded with, aha, now you're beginning to see it. You cannot be saved with a human effort. You cannot do this with human effort, with man, being a part of this kingdom that I'm establishing is impossible. But with God, he says, all things are possible. So what we have here in Jesus' response to Peter's question is another example of this upping the ante for those who would follow him. And what he is saying here is this. If you would be part of my kingdom, then it's your job, followers of the king, to reflect the heart of the king which means you must forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. And when you're done forgiving in a way that feels sufficient, like it should be enough, forgive more. Forgive again. Continue forgiving. Because when you forgive and 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 you forgive, forgive, then the people around you start thinking, there is something wrong with this person. What they're beginning to understand is there's something right with your king who has a heart to forgive and to set free from debt 
and to release from prison. When your forgiveness has begun to reach what feels beyond absurd for you and for me, (laughs) then those around you will begin to see that the king's heart has become your heart. And people who follow Jesus love to extend the character of God to those around them. So Jesus explains what this forgiveness that has no maximum looks like with this parable. We're going to move a little faster, starting at verse 23. He said this, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 Talents. Jesus probably chose 10,000 talents because 10,000 is the largest number in Greek and the talent is the largest unit of currency. Uh, Most scholars estimate, and this is a huge range, that it was between 30 to 100 million days wages. It's a huge range because it's hard to do all of the equivalents here and there. But it's at least 30 million to 100 million days wages for an average worker, which roughly translates another huge range, between 2 to $7 billion, which is around 200,000 years wages. 10,000 talents, 200,000 years wages. Some estimate uh, that Jesus was perhaps choosing 10,000 talents also because it might have been more money that existed in circulation at the time. So when Jesus says 10,000 talents, these disciples are listening to this, probably chuckling, probably LOLing along the way, because that was an absurd amount of debt. And while we have no idea how this servant got into that debt or, or why that much debt was owed, here's the point that Jesus is making in choosing such an absurd number. <laughs> there is no way anyone could ever repay that debt. There's no way anyone would ever have been able to repay that debt. So, verse 25, since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, common practice in a situation like this, with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment was to be made. In other words, indentured servitude for the whole family was the only alternative. And even then, the debt would not come anywhere close to having been repaid. Typical price for a servant was one-tenth or less of a single talent. We're talking here about 10,000 talents. So even in this sort of indentured servitude arrangement that's going on here in the parable, it wouldn't have made enough difference over the course of multiple lifetimes of the entire family to begin to make a dent in the debt. (laughs) So verse 26 Realizing this, the servant fell on his knees, imploring the king in a last moment, um, last ditch moment of desperation, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Which if you think about it, it's a little weird. No one here thinks it's able to be repaid except this servant. Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, Out of compassion for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Simple definition of forgiveness, release from debt. Release from debt. 
Now, can you imagine owing a couple billion dollars (laughs) and having it instantly reduced to zero? When we are done paying off our student loans, which only feels like a couple billion dollars, the sense of newfound freedom and the extra dollars per month that we're going to have will feel amazing. (laughs) You're all invited to the party. Now, you would think, having been forgiven an unpayable debt, you would think that this servant would be elated, overjoyed, throwing parties, grateful and thankful to no end. But we have no indication of that. He's had huge weights removed. And that freedom that's available was apparently something he did not want to receive or didn't think that he deserved to be forgiven for. But apparently there's something... Obviously, he didn't yet understand about what just happened. There's something he did not understand about what happened because, because of this, verse 28. When that same servant went out, a free man, he found one of his fellow servants who also worked for the king, who owed him a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii is about a hundred days wages. Uh, not nothing, but certainly nothing comparably close to a 10,000 talents. In fact, 100 denarii is one six hundred thousandth of 10,000 talents. So this first servant found this fellow servant, also a servant of the king, who owed him 100 denarii, and seizing him, Jesus says, he began to choke him in stark contrast to the king's mercy, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Same desperate plea as the first servant, almost word for word, interestingly. And whereas with the first servant, repayment was impossible, with the second service, it could have been repaid. But, Verse 30, he refused and put him in prison. The first servant refused and put the second servant in prison until the second servant should repay the debt. Which technically the first servant was within his legal rights to do. But given the huge amount that he was forgiven, it is appalling that he wouldn't forgive this relatively small amount. Which is why, verse 31, his fellow servants saw what had taken place and they were greatly distressed, shocked at the lack of generosity, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Verse 32, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And verse 33 is the key take home. This is the king's word for us, friends. Verse 33. And should not you, and shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The servant, the first servant, had gladly accepted forgiveness of a debt beyond his ability to pay, but was unwilling to extend a small debt to be forgiven to a fellow servant which exhibits a fundamental misunderstanding of the freedom of forgiveness 
and the extent of the mercy. The answer to the king's question, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had on you? The answer to that question is apparently yes. Read the last couple of verses here. Jesus wraps it up by saying, verse 34, In anger, his master delivered him, the first servant, to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. In other words, a life sentence. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The transaction, the transition from the king's heart of forgiveness to your heart is in Jesus' very words at the end. Listen, friends, the king's forgiveness, which was previously freely granted, has now been withdrawn Not because the slave is perhaps able or likely to pay back the debt, but because that servant has shown himself unworthy of living in light of the mercy received. The friends' followers of the king reflect the king's heart to forgive. We show ourselves as somehow misunderstanding or perverting mercy and grace we've received when we refuse to extend it to others. Friends, if you find yourself stingy and extending forgiveness, there's something you're not seeing about the heart of the king who loves to release people from debt. If you find yourself perhaps unwilling to accept forgiveness, perhaps like the first servant, you are living under the illusion that you can still repay it. If you struggle to forgive much, then perhaps it's because in some manner you are unaware of how you've been forgiven much. Friends, Jesus teaches us here, the king loves to extend freedom. The king loves to extend freedom from sin to those willing to receive it. The king is an extravagant forgiver. And he calls us to be the same. Because when we forgive as we've been forgiven, we reveal the heart of God and we show what life is like in this new kingdom. When we forgive, it is nothing short of extending God's freedom to people who desperately, desperately need it. There's a famous historical novel by Victor Hugo um, that is set in the early 1800s called Les Miserables. Took high school French. Uh, Les Miserables was set in a time in Paris when things were quite bleak because of political unrest and rebellion. 
And Jean Valjean, who is the main character, is unfairly imprisoned for 19 years for having to steal food uh, to feed his starving family. When he is released from that imprisonment, he is understandably uh, angry at God and at the world and at society around him for having been jailed for 19 years because things in the world were so bleak that he had to steal food for his family. But he finds lodging and food provided for him um, by a clergyman. And actually what he finds uh, is way more than just food and lodging. For the record, I do not suggest serving wine to the police when they show up at your house. (laughs) If you'll notice there at the end, the bishop takes his takes his hood down because that forgiveness means he didn't need to hide. The freedom was his then. Friends, there's there's great power in forgiveness that comes from the heart of the king because when we forgive, it is nothing short of extending God's freedom from sin for people who desperately, desperately need it. This is our call, friends. Did you notice the response of those around the bishop? They don't know what to do with it. When forgiveness is real, people's hearts are changed and they experience a freedom that they desperately need. And those around take notice. And they, they start thinking, there's something weird about that person. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, there's something great about their king. Because he's a king who loves to extend mercy to those who are willing and ready to receive it. Let's pray, friends. Lord, teach us to forgive as we've been forgiven.